Our text this morning comes to us from Deuteronomy 32. It's the first scripture lesson, and we will be focusing in on verse 15 today, bringing in things within the context, but our focus is 32.15. So if you have your Bibles, please open up there. Let's pray together before we begin. (coughs) Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, as we can come here on the Lord's day uh, to hear you, to hear your word sung and preached uh, and read and prayed. And so we ask you, Father, to be with us, working through all these means of grace, feeding us your marvelous word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How easy it is to be disloyal to God. How easy it is to be disloyal to God. Even if you are the type of person that would never be disloyal to your wife or your child, how easy it is to be disloyal to our Lord. How many people do you know who wandered away from the faith? It's probably many if you've been in the church for even a few years. If you have been a Christian for even a short period of time, you have seen people wander. Maybe you wandered for a time and now have come back. Or maybe you are here today and you are wandering in your heart. So the question I have been contemplating lately is this. Why are we prone to wander? As the hymn we will sing after this says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Why is that? This text helps us answer that question. And in studying and considering what caused Israel's disloyalty, rebellion, we may learn how to not repeat Israel's sins and mistakes. And so our outline looks like this. Danger lurks when we are disloyal. Danger lurks when we are disloyal due to our circumstances, due to our affluence, and by forgetting His grace. So let's first consider uh, that danger lurks when we're disloyal due to our circumstances. The book of Deuteronomy is written to a people about to go over and inherit the promised land, the land that has been promised to them for centuries. And Moses is near the end of his life and delivers three sermons to the Israelites And the point of these sermons was to call the people to remain faithful to the covenant rather than wandering off into idolatry as we know that they do. And in our section, God tells Moses to write a song for the people. Hear what he says earlier in chapter 31. This is helpful context. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. 31, 16 and following. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths. That this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will 
turn to other gods and serve them, and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. That's the point of the song, to be a witness to them when they are in rebellion. So our text this morning is that song, and as I mentioned, particularly verse 15, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. First thing we might notice here is this word Jeshurun. And although Yeshurun or Jeshurun is hard to define, uh, we certainly know it refers to Israel. Low-hanging fruit, that's the first obvious thing. Uh, Some have defined it as righteous nation. I think that's probably correct. Which would mean the reason it is used here is to emphasize the wickedness or the gravity of the apostasy that will take place. You see, remember, Israel is about to go over and inherit the promised land, the land of Canaan. And Moses is about to die. These are his last words. Joshua is about to take over, and God knows what will happen, that they will fall and fall greatly. They will become disloyal to God and to his covenant. They will abandon the God who saved them and follow after foreign gods made by hands. And so God uses this term to make clear how hard the fall will be. And now if danger lurks when we are disloyal due to our circumstances, where exactly do we see this here? Well, when Israel forsakes God, their rock, when they do that, what is their circumstance? What was their current situation in the land of Canaan when the apostasy will take place? It is one that allows for the gorging of fatness of cows. In other words, they were in a time of great blessing. It was a positive circumstance that they were in. They constantly grumbled when they were uh, living in the wilderness, and once God gave them the land he had promised, they constantly rebelled and were disloyal. You see, their hearts were hard. In the bad times, they complained. In the good times, they abused God's blessings and forgot him altogether. Earlier in this chapter, Moses sings in verse 8, The Most High gave the nations their inheritance. And in verse 10, He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of a wilderness, He encircled him. He cared for him, guarded him as the pupil of his eye. You see, their situation was generally positive. It was a time of blessing. They were inheriting the land that God had given their forefathers. And what did they do in this time of blessing? They forsook God, who made them and scoffed rejected the God of their salvation. They were disloyal, and this disloyalty brought God's judgment. So the danger lurking is the danger that comes from defying the God who made you and poured out his blessings upon you. How easy is it to forget God when things are going well? Or when things are going bad, how easy is it to forsake him? Sometimes we find ourselves on this course of life, knowing with confidence that the Lord is guiding us, knowing he's on our side, and then all of a sudden the path becomes unclear because of a tragedy or a trial, and we no longer know where to go and are confused and wander. Sometimes we're walking the path, 
and decide that our legs are tired. Things are going well. We have a lot of supplies, but our legs have grown tired, and we just want to stop hiking. We want to settle down, and we use up all of our food and supplies in one sitting until we realize that we ran out of everything that we needed for the rest of the journey. We have wandered. And so danger lurks when we are disloyal or abuse God's blessings due to our positive circumstances or our negative circumstances. Let's first consider positive circumstances and how they can draw us away. When God grants us a time of health, peace, freedom from stress, a season of life that is generally positive, we often are tempted to think that we got ourselves there. All right? Instead of shifting our prayers for relief from a trial uh, to prayers of thanksgiving, that we are now in a good season of life, we often stop praying altogether. Sometimes, Christian... We don't know how to celebrate as Christians. We remember how to celebrate as pagans, but not as Christians. Our hearts truly are prone to wander in these moments. We, we say things like, wow, things are going so well, I must be doing something right. Instead of, wow, things are going so well, thank you, Lord, for this much-needed season of relief that comes from your hand. Thank you for hearing my cries for help in granting me relief. God grants relief if you are in a season, and if you are in this type of season, a season of relief, thank the Lord. Never forget, it comes from His hand. Yes, surely God uses means, all sorts of means. Maybe the means of that relief seems sort of natural. Uh, maybe you lost weight, you feel a lot better, and without the discipline you wouldn't have gotten there. Maybe uh, you went to a doctor who finally figured out what was wrong with you. He gave you the right medication, right? But that all comes from God's hand. The medicine, the discipline, it all comes from the Lord. F furthermore, one of the greatest idols of our age is comfort. Some of you have it really rough in life right now, so this may not apply to you, but some of you surely need to hear this. Don't abuse the comfort that God grants to us. Don't abuse his blessings. Don't get addicted to comfort, which only leads to laziness, which only leads to suffering. Some of you need to hear that your anxiety and your stress and your depression is certainly linked to the amount of comfort that you have in your life and how little challenged you are, how easy you have let your life become. And if this is you, I challenge you to make your life harder. Take upon yourself responsibility. Be more disciplined. My old coach used to say, which always stuck with me, and I think this is pretty common. You've probably heard someone else say this, but be comfortable being uncomfortable. Learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's a good, wise word. Think about how many sins are linked to abusing comfort. Think about it. Porn. Abuse of comfort. Laziness. Abuse of comfort. Gluttony. Abuse of comfort. And we can go on. When did we lose the idea that the Christian life is a disciplined life? That self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So my friends, if times are good, rejoice. Celebrate. But do so as a believer. Do not just let the good times roll. 
Do not just let your desire for more and more comfort take control and cause you to lose any sense of self-control and discipline. And if you do, eventually you will forget the God who made you and you will eventually scoff at the rock of your salvation. And now if it's also true uh, that negative circumstances can draw us away from the Lord. Sometimes we're so stressed and anxious that instead of doing the only thing that can bring us relief and real joy, which is going to the Lord himself, we neglect him. Sometimes we are struggling hard through a tough trial in life. And we say things like, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to church or to reach out to a brother or sister. I don't feel like calling Pastor John and tell him what's going on or Nick or one of the elders and ask for help. And you isolate and you isolate and you neglect the means of grace. And sooner or later you find yourself forsaking God who made you and scoffing at the rock of your salvation. We need to realize, my friends, that if this is you, if you are struggling at the moment and tempted to wander from God during this trial in your life, know, know this, Deuteronomy 33, the eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. There is no hope, rest, relief, joy, peace, and anything else but God who is our dwelling place. Who else has everlasting arms that can uphold us and keep you? Who else is going to cause all things to work together for your good? The triune God, the only one who can uphold you and keep you and guide you on the way. Run to God, my friends. When times are good, celebrate in Him. When times are bad, mourn in Him, calling out to Him. No matter what your circumstances are in life, Israel's history reminds us to be filled with thanksgiving. Knowing who our God is, who is deserving of our worship and obedience, since he has saved us and called us out of darkness and has promised us uh, that his love is steadfast and never, ever failing. So danger lurks uh, due to positive or negative circumstances when we are disloyal, uh, but also when we are disloyal due to our affluence. So let's look at this. Notice that uh, Jeshurun grew fat, kicked. They grew fat, stout, sleek. Another way to put it is they've grown fat, grown thick, and become covered with fatness. It's unclear exactly how to translate the Hebrew word for sleek here, uh, that sleek is standing in for. It could be something like covered with fatness, um, by implication. And that fits the context well. The, the ESV and many modern translations use sleek, which can be a little confusing. I think we often think of the word sleek as a positive thing, like a sleek car or, or something like that. Uh, but here, the idea is more like, have you ever seen a, someone eat a turkey leg at a county fair? Right? Or, a, or a baby eat bacon? You've seen a baby eat bacon? It's just, gre just grease everywhere. It's just a mat, you know, the turkey leg, it just it gets all over your face. And I can't eat that. I have a beard, so it's, it would just, it would look even worse. It would be terrible. But uh, they're covered with fatness. That's the idea. They're just greasy. They're just gorging themselves. It's a very uh, vivid picture that Moses is, is painting here. It's, a, it's supposed to be kind of gross. It's supposed to be kind of gross. Is, Israel's gorging themselves. They're doing what the Apostle Paul condemns when he writes, but put on the Lord Jesus 
and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. What were they doing? Making provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Or when Paul says in Philippians, their God is their belly. That's the Israelites in this, in this scene. Their God is their belly. They're following their appetites. And yes, they actually worshipped false idols made by hands, statues, right? But why did the ancients do this? And many today still do it. Because the wooden God, lowercase g, the wooden God, justifies the real false God behind it, which is their appetites, their sinful cravings, their autonomous reason. Israel's God became their own urges. That's why they worship Baal, because of what was going on in those Baal temples and the promise of food. They became fat, gorged, greasy. Israel became affluent, and they abused their affluence. Now note, there's nothing wrong with the affluence, right? If we were a deeply poor community, other sins would be more relevant, covetousness or stealing and the like, and affluent societies and wealthy communities. Other sins tend to be more prevalent, like greed and pride. And so there's nothing inherently wrong with wealth. That was the blessing of the promised land, right? Promised to give the people, the pro- God promised to give them this promised land and make them affluent. That was part of the promise. What do you think it meant by a land flowing with milk and honey? The point was affluence, blessing, an abundant life, a, a life of abundance. In fact, this is what it was supposed to be in the beginning in the garden. Here is a life of abundance. And God wanted his people to live in perfect communion with him in a life of abundance. But post-fall, what's the tendency? It's to abuse any blessing and abundance that God gives to us. And to think that you are blessed because you are so great. Not because God is blessing you. The issue isn't the abundance here. The issue wasn't the abundance of the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. It was pride, it was trusting themselves, and the serpent instead of the Lord. The issue isn't the wealth, you see. The issue is us. We are the problem, not the blessings of God. The Israelites were the problem in their hardened hearts, not the land that was flowing with milk and honey. Now, how amazing would it be to be able to afford going to Burns Steakhouse on a weekly basis? That would be pretty nice if you could do such a thing. But also, if you were able to do that, how easy would it become, uh, or how easy would it be to become spoiled and to begin to think that you deserve this And to think it all comes from your hand and not the hand of God. You see, if God has blessed you with the means to go to Burns every week, then good for you, I'm happy for you. You Maybe give me some leftovers. Uh, But watch out. Watch out. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Pride, arrogance, ingratitude could so easily seep in. And you could soon forget that this blessing comes from God and not you. How difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus says. Who is the giver of all good gifts? Many a rich man think it is them. And before you start thinking, wow, he's going hard on the rich here for a second. That's definitely not me. I'm not rich. Well, 
you may be sitting here thinking this doesn't apply to you because you're struggling financially maybe or, or are poor uh, but even if you are struggling financially even if you are you are living in the most prosperous time in human history in the most prosperous nation you are in the world's top one percent even if you are nowhere near America's top one percent Everyone in here is affluent in comparison with the rest of the world. And just like ancient Israel, when they inherited the promised land, not everyone was equally rich. However, the society in general was affluent. We all have, regardless of your current situation, more than we need. We all can become greedy, therefore, and ungrateful and disloyal, looking for joy in the things that we have rather than in him who has given us to them, or, or you understand, who has given us the blessing. How silly when we think our affluence is solely because of our hard work. Surely you must, you must work hard, read the Proverbs, but there are many hardworking people struggling to pay bills. If that's not you, if you don't struggle in any way in this regard, why, why is it you work hard, they work hard? The root of the answer, the root of the answer, there's many answers, but the root is that was God's providential plan for your life. God, that's the answer. He draws the boundaries. He makes rich. He makes poor. He sets the stations in life. So thanks be to God, if that is you. That's his blessings for you. And he calls you to be generous, not to be greedy, and not to abuse your affluence. Brethren, do not let your affluence, whatever level of it you may have, make you disloyal to your king. The affluence you have, you have it because the king shared his wealth with you. He is the giver of all good gifts. Ingratitude, disloyalty will eventually ruin your relationship with the Lord. And it will therefore suck out your joy and peace away. It will create selfish, greedy, angry men and women. Now, you know, the Burns example is a bit extreme, a bit out of reach. Not many of us could afford going there every week. Uh, I definitely could not. But look at the things that we do have that the devil uses to draw us away from the Lord. How many times have you felt distant from the Lord in need of prayer? And no longer feel a sweet communion with him, struggling in this regard. And yet as the day is coming to a close, you say, I'm too tired to pray and seek his face. I know that's what I need, but I, I, I just can't. I'm going to do what's easier. And I'm going to veg out and watch TV and eat frozen foods. Uh, how easy is it to abuse your technology and your TV and your computer and your video games or whatever it may be? We all have streaming platforms. We all can't abuse them. It's not wrong uh, to rest in that way and veg out every once in a while. The point is, are you abusing it? Are you abusing comfort? Do you forget where these blessings come from? Your TV, your food, your books, whatever it may be. God gave them. And the temporary joy and rest you find in your stuff is nothing compared to the everlasting joy and rest that you find in your Lord and Savior. Listen to the Apostle Paul here. We get some help from this passage in 1 Timothy 4. 
Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching, teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So again, we see there comfort, the food, marriage. None of these things are bad. Wealth isn't inherently evil. Food is good and should be enjoyed, but every blessing must be put in its proper place. And its proper place is under God, coming from God, understanding that these things come from his gracious, merciful hand, and therefore should be received with thanksgiving and made holy by the word of God in prayer. Surely, it's one of those things that may sound overly simplistic, but a huge help in battling the temptation to become disloyal due to your affluence or circumstance is receiving the blessings that God gives with thanksgiving and prayer. It is a huge help in battling this temptation, acknowledging through prayer all the things you have to be thankful for, all the blessings. And so danger lurks when we are disloyal due to our life circumstances or affluence. And so be careful. Check your priorities. Is your relationship with your Savior number one? For if it isn't, then surely that puts you in danger. And as we will now see, also, danger lurks when we are disloyal due to forgetting his grace. Forgetting his grace. And surely this is like the climax to this passage. Israel wasn't just ungrateful for their circumstances. They didn't just become disloyal simply for their affluence, but also through forgetting his grace. They forgot their salvation. If you abuse God's blessings, you see, eventually you will forget the God who gave you the blessings. And specifically, you will forget his grace to you. The Israelites forgot the Exodus. They forgot the Exodus. They forgot his marvelous salvation in the Exodus. Notice they forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. The emphasis on God as rock reminds the Israelites that they have changed, but he never changes. The idols change too, but he's a rock unlike the idols. Their view of him due to their disloyalty may change, but his mercy and grace can never change. And so in verse 12 of our text, this is in your bulletin, we read this, The Lord alone guided him. And there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field, and he made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds of cows and milk of the flock with fat of lambs, and rams, the breed of Bashan, and goats with the finest of the wheat. All these things are blessings, you see. And of the blood of grapes you drank wine, but Jeshurun grew fat. Once again, it wasn't the blessing's fault. It wasn't the fat's fault, the wine's fault. It was their fault. Forgetting God and what he has done for them, rescuing them out of Egypt, guiding them through the desert and pouring out his grace upon them, putting them in the promised land, all of which they did not 
deserve. They scoffed or scorned or rejected the rock, their Savior. Do you, do you reject the rock, your Savior? Have you forgotten all that He has done for you? Have you forgotten His grace to you like Israel did? Have you got so caught up in the pleasures of life or the pains of life that you have forgotten that Christ Jesus, your Savior, came into the world to die and wash away your sins. They forgot God, the rock of their salvation, and we tend to forget the Lord Jesus, our Savior. You've heard if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Well, this is especially true with our faith, my friends. Do you forget that we are in a spiritual war? The Bible tells us very clearly. Do you not know that the devil, the world, and the flesh are working against you to cause you to wander from the God you love and the God who loves you? If you are here this morning and you have let the trials of life or the blessings and wealth of life draw you away, listen to Jesus' words from Revelation chapter 3 and be encouraged. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Encouragement right there. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And hear this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. This is often an evangelistic passage. But what's the actual context of Revelation chapter 3? A wandering church. A wandering church. And he's saying to believers who have wandered, I stand here and knock. Let me in again. Peter says a very similar thing. God is patient toward you, speaking to the church. God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, church, but that all should reach repentance. Do you think God once was patience and tender towards you only at first when you converted and then he stopped being patient? Do you think God was only forgiving that one time but not continuously forgiving? Lord, uh, My friends, the Lord stands at the door and he knocks. Since God's love is steadfast, we must never forget the Lord, our Savior. All the blessings you have are given by the gift giver the triune God. The Father pours out blessings in Christ by the Spirit, and you are the recipient of these precious gifts, saving grace, the church, family, shelter, food. All has been given by God. And any time we look to a blessing as if it is itself the source of joy and rest, we eventually will lose the blessedness of that blessing due to spurning the giver. Know where your blessings come from. Know whose hand upholds you when life is full of suffering. And know that our God is where true joy and satisfaction is to be found. Surely danger lurks when we are disloyal. God is loyal to us, my friends. So may we all, by his grace, be loyal in return. And after I pray, we will stand and sing, Come Thou Fount. And may the words of this hymn be our prayer this week as we seek to stand close with him rather than wandering away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we 
surely are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so we ask that you would take our hearts and seal it for thy courts above. And we pray in Jesus' name.